1995, um, my band, I was in a band, we got asked to play at this uh, big music festival in the middle of nowhere in Illinois. And um, we, my band had just signed a two-album record deal, so our first album had just come out. So it was kind of a big deal for us to play at a, at a gig that was this big. And um, so, what I, but I didn't travel with the band. Instead, I had the guys drop me off in Tallahassee where Carrie was, um, she was in college. So I said, drop me off there and I'll drive up uh, with her, Carrie's sister, and uh, a good friend of ours. So the four of us would drive up and meet um, Meet, meet the band up there. So we, it was about a 20-hour drive or so from Florida to this spot in, uh, in Illinois. So we all took turns driving to get, to get there on time. I got my, uh, my turn started about 1 a.m. Uh, right near uh, St. Louis. We're getting right near, um, uh, kind of right there near Missouri. By the way, I've been to many places in my life. I've spent a couple weeks in the Middle East, and the only place I've ever feared for my life is in St. Louis, Missouri. So you can do with that what you will. There's a reason people call it misery. Um, and um, so anyway, I get the wheel and we're supposed to drive uh, to, to this, um, this spot. Hold on a second. This something's driving me crazy here. Thank you. Sorry. We now return to our regularly scheduled programs. Um, well, so I start driving about 1 a.m. I did not sleep. We were just all talking and having fun as we were driving. So about uh, some, I get the wheel about, like I said, about one in the morning, start driving about 7 a.m. I am like beside myself. I'm so tired. And um, Carrie and her sister in the back seat. I'm driving and my friend John is in the passenger seat. And uh, we had gotten off the highway and now we're driving through these just it's like endless cornfields to try to get to this uh, to where this big festival is. So I stop at this stop sign. It was like a, it was a, you know, it's one of these stops, like a T stop. So you get there, you got to go left or right. And um, so we stop at the stop sign and uh, everybody was asleep except me. And so I'm driving. Well, I stop at the stop sign and I fall asleep. And the car that we were driving was a stick. So, you know, like you got a stick, you put, you know, you take it out and then you, you lift the, your foot off the clutch and you, you got your, the car's in neutral. Well, the car just starts kind of inching its way into the middle of, the intersection, well, my friend John, who's in the passenger seat, he goes, he wakes up and he goes, Bob, 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 he starts screaming at me. Well, I open my eyes and I look to my left and there's this 18 wheeler tractor trailer like coming towards us. By the way, that's like the weirdest thing to wake up to. Um, and anyway, so I, I, both of us at the same time, we're like, ah! we start screaming like, little girls and um, we find I jam that thing in the first and we take off. And uh, at that moment, then Carrie and Carrie's sister, Rebecca, woke up and I'm like, you know, you, you know, how like when you're really tired, you lean forward like because like, that's going to change everything when you're tired. Like you lean forward and you're, you got your like forearms on the steering wheel. Like, oh, I'm not going to sleep now because now I'm leaning forward. And uh, so you're kind of going like this. Well, then I start driving as fast as I possibly can to get to the um, to, to this, this festival we were playing because, by the way, that was a smart move. You get a guy who's half asleep, but he's going to drive as fast as he can so he doesn't get into an accident. Like, there's something wrong with that equation. Well, anyway, so we start going through this little town. It's right after this little town that that's where the, the festival is in this little town called Bushnell, which you've never heard of um, when you probably never will, unless you're in, like, the corn business, you might, or um, you're thinking about doing a remake of Children of the Corn. Maybe you haven't heard of it. Uh, well, anyway, so... First weird 80s movie reference. Um, so anyway, so here's the thing that happens is that we're we're uh, we're going. So I'm driving really fast through this town because I'm like, I got to get there. I'm so tired. And uh, and then Carrie, who's in the back seat, she says, Bob, you know, why don't you um, you should slow down. And I'm like, care. Listen, relax. There's like what? One cop in this town. And, um, you know, what are the chances that that cop is going to stop me? No sooner. And my wife is here to testify. You know, don't she doesn't have to yell it out, but she's she can testify. And uh, no sooner did I say those words, did I hear the woo woo woo, and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I pull over, I talk to the cop, and then it's like, well, you're doing 50 and a 30 or whatever it was, and then like 
just like out in the distance, you can see the sign that says speed limit 45. I'm like, but see that sign? If you squint, you can see it out there. It says 45. And he's like, sir, you need binoculars to be able to see that that sign says 45. Well, anyway, I try to get out of it. I can't get out of it. He gives me the ticket. I put it in my pocket. I turn to my, my future wife and I say, never, ever speak of this again. And uh, because that just isn't, you know. So, but here's the thing. Now, here's the thing about that whole experience. It's the weirdest thing when something bad happens and someone's been warning you that it's going to happen and you just don't heed the warning that something bad is going to happen and then something bad actually happens. And the thing is this, is that um, God does this. And one of the problems that sometimes we have with the Bible is like, well, why does God tell us all this stuff not to do? Or why does God tell us actually to do certain things and tell us not to do other things? It's just, I don't know why God does that and why does he want to meddle and all this stuff. And, and here's the thing. God isn't telling us what to do or what not to do because his desire is to spoil our fun. God, the reason why he, he tells us, hey, go ahead and do this. Don't do that because he knows that there's a place that we want to get to. There is a, a better life for us. And if we will actually listen to him and what it is that he wants us to do, then here's the thing. He will take us from where we are to where he ultimately and where we ultimately want to get to. Um, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, there is this passage that God tells Ezekiel, he says, here's the thing, I'm setting you up like the watchman. And, and the watchman is the guy who would be in like, uh, like in the middle of the night. He's the guy that would sit in the tower and just to make sure that there was no invading army coming. And if there was an invading army coming, he, what he would do is he would sound the trumpet and then everyone would awake. Everyone would grab their gear, their sword, their spear, whatever. And that would then the army would assemble to defend themselves. But if the watchman didn't sound the trumpet, there would be no warning, and then they would find out too late that the, um, that the opposing army was upon them. In fact, I put the passage in your notes. He says this. He says, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him the watchman, and when he sees the sword coming upon their land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take the warning, if the, trumpet, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood will be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. Listen, the book of Jude for us is like that trumpet. It's like Ezekiel's trumpet. It's a warning for Christians. It's a warning for believers to be wise and to not end up in going the wrong way, ending up in the wrong direction, ending up in the opposite place from where we ultimately want to be and where God ultimately wants to take us. Now, if you're just joining us, we've been in this series. This is actually week three of a five week series that we've been doing that's called Postcards. Now, you might think, oh, man, did I just get walk into like the middle of a movie seemingly? Well, you haven't because every week has kind of been self-contained. Because what we've been doing is walking our way through the five books of the Bible that are one chapter long. These little books that a lot of times get overlooked. They don't get a lot of fanfare, but they are so powerful. Because the thing about a postcard, if you're not aware, is that a postcard, you don't have time to write tons of stuff. You've got to just say what you're going to say, get to the point, and then you're done. And that's what's so powerful about these postcards is that and what we're doing is we're drilling down on them, gaining the wisdom that we can, because every one of these little postcards has a singular theme. What is the, the theme of the book of Jude, which is where we're going to be? The theme of Jude is simply this. It's a warning to believers. It's a warning for believers to be wise. And here's the reason why warnings are so important for you, like they're so important for me. And that is the reason is is that we warn those that we love. The reason that you teach your kids to look both ways before crossing the street is, is to warn them because you love them. The reason that we warn our friends who are about to make really poor financial decisions or really poor, a really poor relationship decision or a really poor career decision is not because we're trying to meddle in their life, but it's because we care about them so much we can't help but say something and warn them and say, have you thought this all the way through? Have you really considered the ramifications of everything that you're doing? And listen, the amazing thing about God is that he doesn't just stand on the sideline and say, well, if that's what you want to do, I'm just going to fold my hands and let you, you know, ram your head up against the wall. Instead, God in his love, here's what he'll do. He'll warn us. 
Because God, and this is the part of the thing that's so amazing, God is not someone who will just stand on the sidelines and say, well, I just don't want to get my hands dirty, I don't want to get involved. Instead, the very essence of who God is, is that He desires to be involved. He desires to lead and direct our lives, to take us from where we are to ultimately where He wants us to be. And that's the thing about the book of Jude where God warns us. He gives us these four incredible warnings that if we will heed them, we will really live the life, the kind of life that He wants us to live. And so if you would, turn with me to the book of Jude. And uh, if you say, where in the world is Jude? If you go to the back of your Bible, uh, to the book of... Well, if you're at the maps, you went way too far. But if you're at, like, Revelation, um, just, you know, hang a left. And so you'll, you'll be at Revelation. The next book is Jude. So it's like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, then Revelation. But we're going to start in uh, Jude, ver- chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have creeped in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, if you're taking notes in your outline, if you want to jot this down, here's the first warning that we get. The first warning is this. Be mindful of your passion. Passion is good. Passion is great. God gives us passion. But here's the thing. Be mindful of it. Now, here's what I mean by that. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Uh, but the first thing that the writer writes, he says he writes his name. He says Jude. Now, Jude is a Hebrew. Um, it's, it's a shortening. It's like a nickname almost of the Hebrew name Judah uh, or the Hebrew name um, or, or the, the derivative of that, which would be Judas. Now, I know it's kind of a weird thing to think like who would actually name after like the Judas who would name their kids Judas. But think, listen, in that culture. Judas or Judah, which is really the real name, was a very popular name. Uh, but I know it's kind of a weird name now. But Judah was one of the 12 uh, children of Israel, the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a word that in Hebrew means praise. And so it was a very popular name. And um, but here's the thing. He says that he's he's Jude. He's Judah. He's the brother of James. Now, the, the thing that I want you to note is that James, the writer of the book of James, was also the half brother of Jesus. And so, which obviously makes Jude the the half-brother of Jesus as well. Now, I put in your notes in Matthew chapter 13. Here's what it says, and I'm setting you up for all this, but check out what he says. Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where does this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? And where did this man get these teachings? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. So Jude opens the letter and says, hey, I'm Jude. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. I'm the brother of James. So he says this. He says who he is, what he is, and his writing intentions. I want you to note that he doesn't actually start touting his relationship to Jesus, but instead, when he talks about his relationship to Jesus, here's what he says. He says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. Now, those of you that are note takers, the Greek word there is the Greek word doulos, D-O-U-L-U-S, L-O-S, sorry, and it means a willing slave. Now, in that culture, in in, in the Hebrew culture, um, you didn't have, if you like were in a lot of debt, you didn't have the opportunity to like, you know, um, there was no like, you know, debt consolidation service. You couldn't file chapter 11. You know, you didn't go, oh, I'm going to do chapter 7. Or you want to do something kind of thing. You didn't have any of that. Here's what you had. You had debt. You paid it back. That was it. You say, well, what if you had no money? Then you sold yourself into slavery. Uh, and that's what you did. And so now, mind you, it's not it wasn't exactly the same as like slavery as we think about it in America. But basically what that meant was you went to work for someone else and you didn't get paid. And your payment was just paying off the debt that you had. 
Now, what God did, and this is in the book of Exodus, chapter 21, for those of you that are note takers, one of the things that God would do is uh, one of the things that God did was he set a limitation on it. He said you could work six years for someone, but in the seventh year you had to go free. That was that was the rule. So you owed someone money. Great. You could work for six years to pay off the debt and then you would go free. But here's the thing that would happen is that there were cases and there were times when a guy would go say, well, I owe you all this money. I'll become your slave for the next six years, pay off my debt, and then I'll, I'll go free. Well, he says, all right, but imagine this. Imagine you become this person's slave, this person's employee, essentially, and life was never better. I mean, the guy treated you well. I mean, he gave you a pretty nice place to live, and, and you had all this stuff you know, going on, and, and you're like, man, that's, that was really nice. Uh, all the stuff that he does for me. But now it's coming to the end of your time and you're going to go free. And you're like, I don't want to leave. I like working for this guy. And so you go to your boss and you say, hey, listen, can I just keep? I know we're kind of we're going to be square here in a couple of weeks. But uh, can, can I can I just keep working for you? And so you sure you want to do that? Yeah. So then they would go down to what's, what the, at that time was called the gate of the city. Gate of the city was like city hall. They'd go to City Hall, the, the, the uh, elders of the city, you know, kind of like the city managers, the council members would talk to um, the, uh, this person and say, make sure it's not like a, a coercion type thing. And they said, all right, you want to work for this person, stay this person's employee, be this person's slave. That's fine. So then they would take him to this doorpost and they would pierce his ear. And so he would wear this earring and everyone would know when you had that earring that you were a doulos. You were not a slave because you had to be. You were a slave because you wanted to be. And that, that was the big difference. And listen, here, here's the point that, that I think is, is so important. Is that, and this is part of the, the, the warning, and that is to be mindful of your passion. The things that we're passionate about are the things that will drive us in life. Whatever it is that we're passionate about are the things that will drive us. And part of this is, when he says that I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, I'm willingly, I, I willingly serve Jesus. That is the thing that drives me. That is the thing that pushes me. Now, here's the, the thing that's so, that's so important about that, is that those who do not serve, those who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't really want to serve God in any way, eventually will get cold in their faith and drift away. Now, the weird part of that is, is that, and I've, I'm telling you, I've seen this over, over the years now, as in serving the Lord and, 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 and teaching people and leading people, this is the thing that I see over and over again, is that most people don't believe that that's the case until it happens. But you and I would believe that it's the case in a marriage. We believe that it's the case in friendship, and it's also the case when it comes to our relationship with God. And that is that you, can, you can't really stay neutral for very long. Uh, that is, in, in your relationship with your spouse, those of you that are married, you know that it's like, if you're not really advancing and, and, and serving each other and growing deeper in your relationship, there comes a point in time that it's like, well, you maybe can, for a short season, kind of be in neutral. But you're either growing closer together or, after that, time, that brief time of neutrality, you're beginning to grow apart. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. When you those that are that are that call this church home that are growing the most are those that have an, an inlet that is that they hear the messages and it's like they're being filled up. But then they have an outlet and that is they have an opportunity to serve and let out the things that they've learned as well. And that's why on your connection card, we gave you that opportunity, because here's what I know is that in a service like this, just like the last one, is that there's so many of us that are like, you know, I, this is this is the last little push that, that I needed. Because I really did, I really do want to get involved because I do want to continue to grow. And in the back of your connection card, you can sign up for that as well. But I want you to think about this. And that is that the brothers of Jesus didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. Because, I mean, you know, because when they thought about it, they heard Jesus teaching. And if you kind of follow this throughout the Gospels, it's actually kind of, you know, a funny thing to watch them. Because it's almost like they just don't get it. Like, because, you know, could you imagine like your brother being the Messiah? Like, you know, you grew up with them, right? That's just kind of a weird thing. Like, because I could, I think it would be a tough thing to have Jesus as your brother. Um, like, you know, you can imagine because, every, you know, you, Jesus always cleaned off his plate, right? Jesus always made his bed. Jesus always got straight A's. You know what I mean? And it's like, and, you know. Everybody else just, you know, was, didn't, you know, so, so then, you know, and then I'm sure his parent, you know, Mary and Joseph, they're like, you know, Jude, why can't you just be more like your brother, Jesus? He's setting a good example for you. And, and, and they're like, you know, mom, it's not like he's perfect. 
Yeah, he kind of is. You know, it's part of the whole God thing. You know, and now I will say this. I, I think it's tough. I, I had like a brief moment of this. And now, very brief. Um, I have an older brother who's about five years older than me. And uh, my brother's the one who led me to Jesus uh, 18 years ago, which he reminds me of regularly. Um, uh, but anyway, um, my brother uh, was at um, my brother was attending a, a men's conference or like a, uh, yeah, a big like men's conference in New Hampshire. I've seen New Hampshire or Vermont. I forget which one, but I think it was New Hampshire. And the guy comes up to him and he has like a name tag and the name tag says, you know, Billy Frank was. And he goes, the guy walks up to him and says, Billy Frank was. He goes. You wouldn't happen to be related to Bob Frank was the author, would you? And uh, now, mind you, uh, that's just the best, you know, not because of that, just because it happened to my brother. Um, and so he says, you wouldn't happen to be related to, to, to Bob Frank was, would you? And he goes, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. He's, he's, my, he's my brother. And, uh, and the guy starts going on and on about how much he loves my books, how he subscribes to our podcasts and listens to our messages. By the way, if you're listening, thank you. Um, and so anyway, uh, so <laughs> this guy's going on and on about like how much of a blessing my teachings and writings have been into his life. And my brother's telling me the story and he's like, listen, Robert, I, I was able to handle about 30 seconds of how awesome you are until I just exploded. And I just like, you know what? I grew up with him. He's really not that awesome. All right. And, uh, and I said to my brother, I said, you know, the Bible says that a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country. They did it to Jesus. I figured they'd expect they'd do it to me, too. So <laughs> now here's the thing about Jude. Now, here's the thing about Jude. Jude sits down to write this letter and he says, you know, my intention, what he says in verse three, my intention was to write to you about the common salvation that we have about how we're, we're growing in faith together. We're, we're growing together as we learn more about God and who He is, as we serve one another, as we love one another. And then he says this, but I couldn't. And it's almost like as he was going to put the, the pen to paper, the Spirit of God starts stirring him in a way as he says, listen, I wanted to write this to you, but here's what I learned, is that I had to write to you to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, earnestly contend is, is kind of a... We don't really use that term very often in, in, in our culture, but the, the term literally means that, that that phrase earnestly contend. It means to strive for something to the point of agony. Um, can I ask you this question? How many of you have seen Rocky two? Rocky two. All right. So a few of you, some of you haven't. What's up? That's another message. Um, but here's the thing. If you know Rocky two, if you get to the end, by the way, spoiler alert. All right. So you may want to plug your ears for a minute. Um, but here's the thing. The thing about the end of Rocky two, you know, in the end of Rocky, he doesn't win. But in Rocky two, he has the, re, the big rematch with uh, with Apollo Creed. And it's they're right there at the end. They've gone all the rounds. And then at the very end, he's standing because he's tired. He's been pulverized. He's been beat up. He's hurt. His eyes, you know, he's bleeding. He's got no strength left, but he's standing just out of sheer will and determination, right? That's all he's got. And then just he's standing just for one more second than Apollo Creed, and he wins the title and, and all of that. You know, the whole thing. And then that, that, right? Listen, that's what it means to earnestly contend. To the point where I'm just going to stay standing one more second. But I, can I just tell you that sometimes what happens for us as, as Christians for us, those of us that are Christians, sometimes we don't earnestly contend. Sometimes instead of earnestly contend, we casually attend. And that is like, you know, we'll show up to church if the conditions are just right. I mean, if our alarm goes off, if the weather's just right. Because, by the way, I don't know if you know this. Um, some, some folks, not you guys, because you guys are just like top notch. But the church down the street, but um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but what I mean is this, is that, you know, some people, it's like they, they won't go to church because if the weather is too good, they'll go to the beach. If the weather is too bad, well, I mean, Christians can't go out in the rain. They'll melt. And so if it's too good, I'm going to the beach. If it's too bad, I mean, you know, I might get hurt. So it's got to be just right for me to actually go. Right. And, and it's like, well, see, that doesn't that, that's not earnestly contending. Right. That's just casually attending and see, let me tell you a little secret. The secret is this, is that those of us in this room um, that, that are that are following Jesus, the only ones of us that are still going to be walking with God in 10 years are the ones who are earnestly contending. 
How do I know? Listen, because in the parable of the sower, remember Jesus says, this is in Matthew 13, that the sower goes out to sow. He starts sowing all kinds of seed. Some people hear the message and they're like, ah, whatever, who cares? But some people hear it and they, they grab hold of it, but then they just... They don't really come to much. The sun just scorches them. There's another that they sprout up. They're very excited. They're very enthusiastic. But then the cares of this world, it says, choke them out. But there's only one that falls on good soil and begins to bear fruit. And, and the point is, is that, that Jude makes is that we have to contend. Why? Because he says that evil men have crept in. They've crept in unnoticed and they've been sowing all this kind of weird teaching, all these weird ideas about who God is and how to know God and and how to be saved and how to walk with God. And listen, if we're not earnestly contending, it has the the ability to shipwreck our faith. How? Look at what he brings up next in verse five. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Michael, the archangel and contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a reviling accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But those who speak evil of what they do not know and whatever they do know, naturally, like brood beasts in these, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second warning that he gives. The first is to be mindful of your passion, because that's going to determine the direction of your life. The second is to be careful of in your associations, to be careful in your associations. The book of Jude has this special place in my heart. um, And the reason is, is because it's the first book of the Bible I ever taught. Uh, when I was in my last semester of Bible college, the church that I interned at, they had an adult education program and they had they were always looking for teachers to come in and, and, and teach stuff. And so they they asked me, they said, you know, Bob, would you like to come in and do like a class for four weeks? And I said, sure. Um, and I, I said, well, can I teach the book of Jude? And uh, they said, do you have enough material? It's one chapter. And I said, trust me, I can do it. Um, you'll be amazed at how long winded I can be. And uh, so it took me four sessions at two and a half hours a session to teach the entire book of Jude, 10 hours. I'm planning on teaching it in 40 minutes this morning. So uh, whether that's wise or not, we'll see. But there was this older couple, this couple that was in their early 70s, and they signed up for my class uh, in, in the book of Jude. Now, I had, was friends with uh, their daughter, and that's how they, they knew me. But so they signed up for my class because they wanted to encourage me because nobody, they didn't know who, nobody knew who I was. So they said, well, at least there'll be two people in this class. If they sign up. And so um, I, I signed up for, for uh, they signed up for my class when I first started teaching. And by the way, I still have those tapes uh, in my garage and uh, no one will ever find them because they are hidden. And uh, if anybody wants to extort money from me, steal those tapes and threaten to post them online. I will probably give you my car uh, to keep you keep that from happening. Well, anyway, so this couple uh, who are in their 70s, they listened. They attended my Jude series. Then afterward, I got like really good uh, reviews on the class. Uh, and so they said, well, you teach something else. So I taught the book of Ruth. Then I taught Second Timothy. Then I taught First Timothy. I did several things. And they signed up for every single class that I taught. And um, after every class, and they'd know, like they'd see me and know that it just, I feel like it didn't go well. And they'd say, you know, Bob, it's getting better. That's like sometimes it's the best they could do. They'd say, it's getting better. Uh, you just keep studying. You keep teaching. There's a gift in there somewhere. That, that was their encouragement to me. I, I can only imagine what they really thought. But they're like, there's a gift in there somewhere. Down deep, there's a gift in there. You just got to look for it, you know. And, uh, and, I, and I, honestly, I, I'm so grateful to that couple because here's the thing. Um, I actually, uh, that, the woman passed away a few years, several years ago now. And uh, I, I was able to, I told that story uh, when I officiated her funeral. And uh, it was this amazing, um, amazing uh, time uh, 
that of celebrating her life. But listen, when I was ready to set my notes on fire after teaching, and I'm like, this is horrible. I'm never going to be able to do this. You know, um, they just encouraged me to keep going and to keep teaching because somewhere, somehow down deep in there, there was some kind of gift to be able to communicate with people. And that's the power of association. The power of association, when you get one person who's really contending for the faith earnestly to bring someone else along and say, come on, we can do it and we can do it together. And what Jude says is that there's some people who had crept in, who had started sharing all of these, all of this stuff that was not helping people contend, but it was shipwrecking people in their faith. But I want you to notice that he's not saying, I want you to contend for faith or I want you to contend for a faith. He says, I want you to contend for the faith. That is, the essential truths of the gospel. Now, Jude says in verse 5, he says, I want to remind you of something. And he references three stories in the Old Testament. And the thing that's amazing to me about these three stories in verses 5, 6, and 7 that he references is that they are incredibly dense in, in, in their content. But Jude's like, you know, this and this and this. And so he's operating under the, the assumption that, every, that everyone who's going to read this has a thorough understanding and background uh, of the Old Testament scriptures. And so he, he references these three stories. And here's the reason why. Three totally different groups, totally different backgrounds, but all of them have the same outcome, the same ending, and the same point. Here's what I mean. The first story in verse 5, when he says, But I want to remind you that the Lord, having saved a people out of the land of Egypt, destroyed those who did not believe, is a reference out of the book of Numbers, chapter 14. And Numbers 14 is is the moment when the children of Israel are at the precipice of walking into the, the land that God had given to them. Remember, they were slaved in, in Egypt and God had rescued them and now they're ready to go in. And, it said, and, and in the story, they said no. They said, no, there's giants in the land and God's not going to rescue us. We're going to go in there and we're going to get killed and it's going to be bad. And we'd rather, let's go back to Egypt. It was a lot better there when we were slaves than to have to go into this land and get killed by these giants that are there. Now, I want you to understand the group of people that's saying this. This is the group of people that saw the ten plagues in Egypt happen and that God preserved them. This is the group of people that walked through the Red Sea when God parted it. And then when they got to the other side, that Pharaoh's army went in, it, the water came in on them and it wiped Pharaoh's army out. This is the group of people that Moses hit a rock with his staff and water comes out and it feeds and, and, and it quenches the thirst of over two million people. So they don't think of a rock like this. Think of like a mountainside that he strikes and now this gush of water comes out. This is the group of people that every morning they'd wake up and there'd be manna on the ground for them to eat. This is the group of people that got to the very edge after everything that they'd seen. And said, here's the deal. We've seen all of that, but we don't believe that God's going to do this and give us this land because those giants are huge. Because really what it came down to in all of this is that the, the giants simply revealed something that was already in their hearts. They just didn't believe. That's all it was. And so what's the point of the story? The point of the story is, is that you can be around the things of God and still not know God. You can see all the miracles and you can sit in church and you can know all the stories and still not really know him. The second story that he mentions in verse six, he talks about the angels that sinned. Um, I'm going to have to punt that story um, because we're going to it's, it's out of a passage in the book of Genesis, chapter six. Um, and this becomes the issue as to why God brings the flood. We're teaching Genesis six this Wednesday. So if you're curious, I hope that you are. It is a wild story, and I promise it is not what you're expecting. So. I would encourage you to come out on Wednesday night as we, uh, and bring your notebook as, as we're going to talk about this. But the point of the story is this, is that you can have spiritual position and spiritual authority and still and, and not be right with God. The third story that he mentions in verse 7 is that he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, what he does is, is that this is a city that was prosperous. This is a city that had no lack of anything. And yet they were destroyed. And the, and the point that he makes simply is this, is that even though you're prosperous and prof, profitable and you think that you have the blessing of God because you don't lack for anything, it doesn't mean that you actually know God. Even though you have all the blessings and all that stuff, it doesn't mean that God's going to 
take sin any less lightly. Notice what Jude does. He takes a story of a group of Jews that didn't believe, angels that didn't obey, and Gentiles that were totally gone astray. And he makes one point. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're insistently and disobeying God, it's not going to end well. These false teachers, they didn't think that anything was going to happen to them. And so he says this. This group and this group and this group, all very, very different. And they all met the same judgment. You know why? Because that's how, that's how God operates. And, and sometimes we think, like, I can't believe that we would even talk about God judging people. I mean, that's just so harsh. It's so rough. It just seems so brutal that God would do that. Can I, can I offer you another observation on that? That God judges out of love? First, that God, the Bible says that God disciplines his kids. And that is God's trying to get to bring us back. The other thing is this. Well, let me explain it this way. Yesterday, uh, we were planning. It was like a, you know, work day at the Franco's house. And so we went, Xander and I went to Home Depot in the morning and got all of our supplies. And then Mia came out and, and after we had breakfast and then we planted some flowers and we did some mulch and we pulled some weeds and we did all kinds of stuff, um, you know. And uh, but then Xander had gone kind of around the corner on the side of the house to get some water in this little uh, bucket that he had to pour on the flowers and stuff. And he got bit by a few ants um, and these fire ants. And, and, you know, and here's what happens is that I carry show me like, look, he got bit by these ants. And I didn't say, like, wow, Xander, that's really tough, you know. We should just leave the ants alone because that's where they live. And then we can be, this way we can all exist, you know, peacefully. No, you know what happened? They experienced, the ants experienced the judgment of God. (laughs) Those ants went to see Jesus shortly after. Because I came in with not only my sneakers and stepped on many of them, but they got like the chemicals and they got all the, the tarot baits. And once the tarot baits come out, it's over. It's like that's the death blow right there. That's the angel of death for ants. And so you got all that going. Why? And listen, because I don't want ants to bite my kids. And, and can I tell you this, that you got all this false teaching and all this stuff and all these guys and they didn't believe and the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, well, why would God do that? That seems so rough. Maybe from the flip side, we recognize that God does it as an act of love. Because God really, really loves his kids. And if there's a group of people that just care nothing of God and they don't want to have anything to do with God, listen, that's fine. But now if you're going to, God's saying, you're going to mess with my kids. It's not going to end well. This isn't going to, this isn't going to turn out to be a good thing. And listen, that act simply brought out the heart of a loving father. And many times, maybe that's, we see judgment going down that really it's just expressing the heart of a loving father, a loving Heavenly Father. Look what happens in verse 12. This goes on. Uh, Jude keeps describing these guys. He says, They are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up to their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch... The seventh from Adam, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds in which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things in which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, And their mouth swell great mouth, great uh, swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third warning. Warning number three, and that is be alert to false teachers. Be alert to false teachers. Jude describes these people in very vivid language. And the, the, the thing that he keeps saying over and over, if you notice, is that when he says that these are late autumn trees, but they don't have fruit. They're clouds, but they don't have water. It's the idea of something that's supposed to have something good, but they actually don't. 
A teacher shows up and he's supposed to be sharing something good, something that nourishes your soul, that builds up your spirit. But instead, these teachers come in and they share something that just weighs you down and bums you out and just breaks you down. And it just continues to add on to the burden instead of actually freeing you up. And that's why he says, you know, imagine going up to a tree that's full of leaves. Oh, I want to get some fruit and there's no fruit. In a culture that was desperate for rain to see a cloud. Oh, here it comes. And the cloud didn't have any water. And he says, that's what these false teachers are like. And, you know, the thing that, that the point that Jude is making is, is that, listen, false teachers, they, they don't have like a T-shirt that says, hi, I'm a false teacher. Can you give me a hug? Right? They, they're not wearing, uh, you know, they're not wearing shirts like that. In fact, you know, if you have a picture of like, you know, the devil and, and it's like, well, what does the devil look like? Well, you know, he's kind of thin. He's tall. He has like horns. He's kind of he wears red spandex and uh, he, he carries a pitchfork around because you never know uh, where you're going to be in a situation and, and you need a fork. And uh, and so, no, well, listen, that's not, the, you know, the, that's not the picture that the Bible gives us. It gives us a picture of, of, of Lucifer, listen, who was an angel of tremendous beauty, but instead who fell due to his pride. And, and listen, this, this is the point that Jude makes in 2 Corinthians 11. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Listen, you know why false teaching is so deadly, not just for Christians, but even those who aren't. Is because those who are following false teachers, they think they're actually getting the real thing, but they're really getting duped. And you know, the thing is about false teachers, they always get found out. They always get found out. And because they always get found out, the people that have been following the false teacher, when he gets found out, they start thinking, well, now they start, they're, they're disillusioned about God because the person who was representing God and teaching them about God turned out to not be being very godly at all. That's that's part of the problem. And the way that we can tell. And that's why he says, well, how do we deal with these false teachers? Paul says this or Jude says this. He says, listen, in verse 17, remember, remember the words spoken to us by the apostles. That is focus on what's good. Focus on the thing that's most important. And you'll be able to see what's true and what's false. Let me give you two common things about false teachers. The first is this, is that they use the Bible very loosely. They use the Bible loosely. They'll quote the Bible, but never in context. And they'll just make the scripture say whatever it is that they want it to say. And the truth is, you can make the Bible say whatever you want if you're not using it in context. You know, as we teach through the Bible and teach through books of the Bible, you know what you find is that I can't really get away with that. Right. I just say, well, then verse four and then verse five and then verse six and verse seven. We just keep going. It's like. Right. The reason why it's important for you to just be in, a, in an environment where you're hearing the Bible verse by verse is that nobody can pull a, pull a fast one on you because you can just start pulling verses out of context and find anything. You ever hear people play Bible roulette? You know, it is. People do that. I'm serious. People, they wake up they're like oh, they're going through a tough time. Like, oh, God, I need you to speak to me. Here we go. Whatever verse that opens up, I know is for me here. This is it. God, please. This is the verse for me. Here we go. And, and then Judas went and hung himself. Huh? OK, that's what's that? All? Oh, wait, one more, one more, one more right here. And then Jesus said, go thou and do likewise. What? You know, what's that all about? Right. Why? Because you can't just start pulling verses out of anywhere thinking that it's OK. It's not OK. So these guys, they use the Bible loosely. And the second thing is they don't like being questioned. They don't like people to do some fact checking about them. They want you to believe what they say and never question it. Listen, the reason why we're so committed to teaching through books of the Bible here is that more than ever. Listen, you and I need a foundation to build our lives on. And it's a foundation that's built on truth. Well, Jude goes on speaking of that in verse 20. Here's what he says. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction 
and on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Here's the last one. The last warning that he gives, number four, is be intentional in your growth. Be intentional in your growth. Um, last week, I, I learned that um, a friend of mine who is a pastor uh, had been unfaithful to his spouse. And, uh, I mean, it, it rocked Carrie and I. I mean, you know, I mean, we were just totally caught off guard by it. And uh, we had been talking about it some, just her and I, throughout the weekend and um, Monday morning, I went to my office, and, and I'll be honest with you, I was like kind of in a daze. And um, I, I, I tend to get there, um, I drop me off from school early, so I'm usually the first one in the office some days, but Monday usually. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I don't, I'm just sitting there like kind of just in a daze. And, and I'm like, how does this happen? And, um, and then I have this thought, and I think to myself, like, when was the last time I sent my wife flowers? for no reason than to just tell her that I love her. And I just thought of that, and I'm like, i got to do that. I have to do that. And then, like, right after I said that, about a minute or two later, I get an email from the company that I use to send my wife flowers. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> These people are using, like, mental telepathy as their means, you know. So I say, okay. So I click on it. I order the flowers, and, I, and I'm done, and I'm able to kind of, like, get on with my day. Well, the next day, uh, Tuesday... And I had it set up so that it, they would get there on Tuesday. Well, Tuesday, I'm about ready to leave the house. Now, Carrie wakes up on Tuesday and is like literally having the worst day ever. She feels terrible. Um, she's thinking about what has happened with these folks that we know. And um, the kids are going absolutely crazy. And um, I know you think that my kids don't sin. Don't worry, they do. Um, and, uh, you know, and so they're going nuts. And this is like a tough day that she's having. And I'm getting ready to leave. And... Um, and so I'm, 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 she opens the door to get something, uh, and she sees the box. And I was amazed. I didn't think that FedEx was going to get there that early. But they just got there, and the box of flowers is sitting there. And she's like, you didn't. I can't believe you did. And so she comes over. She gives me this big hug and a kiss. And she's like, how did you know? How did you know I was going to have the worst day ever? How did you know? How does God speak to you, Bob? Does God speak to you audibly? Do you have an 800 number that you call? I mean, she's like, how is this? And I'm like, honey, God talks to me, but mostly through email marketing. Um, and, uh, and, now, <laughs> and here's the thing. Is that, now, my, my point is this, is that, listen, nothing good, very few things good that we have in life happen by accident. And said the things that we cherish and the things that we love, listen, they grow and develop into what we want them to be when we're intentional about it. That's why I tell couples, I tell them, listen, if you want to stay in love, do the things that you did when you were falling in love. Why? Because, listen, do you know that falling in love is easy? Listen, you, you know that you can fall in love with people you've never even met? If you have a 12-year-old girl, ask her if she's in love with Justin Bieber. She's got Bieber fever. She's got it. But you know what happens is that she's never met him. But she's like all crazy over him. How is that? Because you can fall in love with people that you've never met. But because falling in love is the easy part, staying in love is the hard part. That's the part that has less to do with feelings and more to do with actions and intentionality. And listen, if that's the case when it comes to our relationship, how much more in our relationship with God? We stay close with God when we're intentional about developing our relationship with God. You know, I love what he says in verse 20 and 21. He says three words that, that, that totally describe this. He says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and looking to the mercy of the Lord Jesus for eternal life. Three words, building, praying, and looking. All verbs, all action words that are telling us of what we need to do to be intentional about our relationship with God. And that's why he says, listen, keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? By building yourself up. By getting into God's word and letting God's word get into you. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? By praying in the Holy Spirit. By 
by allowing prayer to change who you are. Because when we talk about prayer changing things more than anything, prayer changes us. Because it, it aligns our heart with the heart of God. And then lastly, he says, looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ. You want to know what brings us to maturity? Is when we realize that Jesus is coming back. You look around at the world today. And um, I, I don't listen. I've been a Christian now uh, for almost 18 years. And I have never felt the sense of urgency that, that I feel right now in, in, in my walk with God. Because I'm looking around at what's happening in the world and I'm saying that it's what Jesus said, that his coming is near even at the door. And listen, and that's why, that's why it's, it's, this, this, it's about being intentional in our walk with God. That's the only way that we grow to maturity. And that's how the Bible views maturity is this word exercise. Listen to what it says. Uh, it, it says this. It says physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Listen, if there was a time in your relationship with God when things were better than they are now, here would be my encouragement to you. And this is what the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter two. If there was a time when things were better than they are now, then do the things that you were doing when things were better. That's true in your friendships. It's true in, in your marriage. It's true in any relationship. You just start doing the things that you were doing and you'll see things improve. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you say, well, I've never made a decision to follow him. Then listen, the, 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 the first step then is to invite him into your life and ask him to forgive you because Jesus died for you and for me. So that we could experience a real relationship with God and know him. Not just in a kind of passing way, oh, I believe in God, or I have faith or whatever, but have the faith. To have, to not just believe in God, but to really believe God. And that God really has your best and that God really desires to walk with you. My friends, if we will do those things, then we will really have grasped and understand the message of Jude. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you don't just leave us to try to figure it out on our own. But instead, you give us the warnings, you give us direction, because, God, your hope, your desire is to lead us to where it is that you want us to be, where we're following you, where we're walking with you, to live the best life possible. And so, God, we thank you for that. May that happen in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.